Let's Talk Books. I'm Robin Van Auken, a writer and a teacher. My guest and I want to help you write your own book. We're sharing ideas about inspiration, book publication, and promotion. You can find the episode show notes, a free novel, guides, and tutorials at robinvanauken.com. Enjoy the show. Hi, it's Robin Van Auken, and I'm on the road today. I'm at West Virginia in Charlestown, a wonderful historic town. But the reason why I'm here today is because we have went to the Hollywood Casino at the Charlestown Races. We didn't exactly go to the casino part except to walk through it. I'm not a gambler. I don't really enjoy big smoky rooms where you don't have any windows and there's no light. You have no idea what time it is. And you see all these poor little old ladies in their wheelchairs with their oxygen, smoking cigarettes and playing slot machines. And that's not a fiction. You actually do see that. But that's not why I'm here today. My son and his sweetheart invited us down for the weekend to Virginia and then to bop over to West Virginia, which is only about 45 minutes away from his house, to watch the Charlestown races. When my son was little, he enjoyed going to the horse track with us. Um, We lived in Florida at the time, and my husband was a sports rider. He got to cover the um, horse track at different times. We would go to Tampa Bay Downs, and my husband Lance would interview George Steinbrenner about different things, and we'd watch the horses. It was pretty. I liked to go to the paddock and see all the pretty thoroughbreds as they, you know, marched around preparing for the day's races looking at all the jockeys and their pretty silks. So to me, a day at the races was more of a visual event. I am not a gambler, like I said, and I'm not very good. Although yesterday I did have a pretty steady streak there, picking some exactas. But it's a lovely place here at the Hollywood Casino. The horse track actually has some historic records. It was um, built in the 1930s. I think it was actually 1933 when it first opened here in West Virginia. And it was actually called the Shenandoah Valley Jockey Club. And it had a 20-day session. This went on for about a year, I think, until they you know, ran into financial problems. And then it became a slightly different company. I think it was called the Charlestown Jockey Club by 1940. And it had become pretty lucrative. Now it's the Hollywood Casino and the racetrack is run by Penn National. Like I said, I'm not really much of a gambler, but I am a horse fan. And I remember when I was a little girl, my fascination with horses began after we moved to Virginia. When I was nine years old, my grandfather became ill and my mother decided that she needed to move home and take care of her father. So we packed up everything, sold our house in Miami, Florida, and migrated up to the um, Richmond, Petersburg area of Virginia. I wasn't very enthused about the move. Very few kids are ever excited to leave their family, their friends, their home, you know, their schools, and be ripped up, moved to another state. Not to mention my grandfather was, he was a real mean person. He was ill. He was unhappy. 
And I remember he would sit around with his cane, and any time we came near him, he'd raise his cane up and shake it and say, You go away. Leave your mom alone. I'm talking here. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't last much longer after that, so in our selfish little kid's perspective, it wasn't really worth the trip to come up here to Virginia because he was, you know, not considerate, didn't stick around. He died very shortly after we moved up to Virginia, and um, we were stuck. We were stuck by then. But at that time, my mom decided to introduce us to to her history. She was born in North Carolina and then raised in Virginia by her father. Um, she and her younger brother were basically um, motherless. When I think my mother was three years old, her mother decided she wanted a divorce, and the family closed ranks and pushed her out of the scene, and she no longer had access to her children. So my mother grew up with this grouchy old man that I'm talking about. Yeah. Jumping from one family member to the other. And one of her family members was a great Aunt Maud um, who lived in North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, which is where my mother was originally born. So Mom would take us to Greensboro for long weekends after we moved up to Virginia. And one of my cousins who lived at that farm had a couple of horses. One of them was a Shetland pony named Tonka. And then she had another large chestnut, you know, um, I guess it was a stallion. I don't remember that horse's name. He wasn't as appealing to me as Tonka. Because Tonka was closer to my size. And um, our cousin Diane would let us occasionally ride Tonka. And I was just absolutely thrilled by that. I really looked forward to going to visit the family in Greensboro, North Carolina, just to see Tonka. I couldn't care less about the people. You know, I wasn't really paying much attention to them. But Tonka, this beautiful little fuzzy black and white uh, Shetland pony, was just adorable, really friendly. Then one day, my mom, on a trip to Greensboro, North Carolina, took us to a, another ranch. And as we stood there at the branch leaning against this barbed wire fence we could see in the field a, a group of ponies you know a group of little horses running around having so much fun galloping from one end of the field to the next and my mother pointed to you know one of the horses a mare a white mare and she was she was pregnant. She had a giant belly with this little foal in it. Um, hadn't given birth, of course, because she was pregnant. She told me that that was going to be my horse. And she paid the farmer, or rancher, I guess, uh, $60 for that horse. And she said, that's your horse, Robin. One day, you're going to be able to tame that horse. Because these were wild ponies. And she said, you're going to be able to tame it, and it's going to be yours. And that foal the little baby once it's born that'll be your sister's horse so what do you want to name it and there was only one name I could think of because I was horse crazy by this point I was reading every book I could picking up magazines wherever I could I even had a veterinarian guide to horse care I had to name 
that pretty little white pony, Flicka, after one of my favorite books. When I was a child, I enjoyed reading books like My Friend Flicka. This was a 1941 novel by Mary O'Hara. It was about this little boy named Ken, Ken McLaughlin. He was the son of a Wyoming rancher, and his horse Flicka um, was one of the first books in a trilogy. It was followed later by Thunderhead and the Green Grass of Wyoming. There was actually a movie made about this, and you might remember this, a 1943 film starring Roddy McDowell when he was a young boy. And then it became a television series. But I remember it as a book because my mom, she was a book person. We didn't really have much of a TV, and she didn't take us to the movies that often because she was a single parent. She didn't have a lot of money to take us to movies. But the plot summary about My Friend Flicka was about Kenneth McLaughlin, this little 10-year-old boy. He was living on a goose bar ranch just outside of Cheyenne, Cheyenne, Wyoming, with his father and his mother. Now, his father, Rob, was a very practical and harsh man. His mother now was a lot more like Ken. Ken was a daydreamer. He wasn't very practical. He has a very sensitive nature. Now, there was another son named Rob who acted a lot more like, uh, I'm sorry, Howard was the older son. He acted a lot more like the father, Rob. You know, he was very responsible. He took his work at the ranch seriously. He did exactly what his dad told him to do. Whereas Ken, who had been attending a private school, had been failing school. He wasn't doing very well. He wasn't making good grades. He wasn't applying himself at all. He was just a daydreamer. And he was actually um, getting ready to be kicked out of the boarding school. So at the beginning of the novel, Ken is a little angry at his father because he's going to have to repeat fifth grade. And this is a private school, and his dad really can't afford it. So he says, you know, you're just going to have to start earning your own keep. But Ken really doesn't know how to earn his own keep. <laughs> you know, and he starts having mistakes at the farm, you know, breaking things, doing things wrong, and just getting more and more in trouble with his dad. And meanwhile, his brother Howard is being rewarded for all of his hard work on the farm, and his dad decides to give Howard his own horse. And Ken is just consumed with jealousy because he wants a horse too. The mother intercedes at this point, and she says, you know, hey, you know, if you give Ken his own horse, it's only going to make him step up and become more responsible. So think about that. That's a great option. And the dad says, okay, maybe we'll do this. Which one do you want, Ken? So Ken is watching the ponies, just like I did, running away from him in the field, and he sees this beautiful filly. And he thinks to himself, that's her. That's the one I want. And he wants to call her Flicka. But again, this just aggravates the father because the horse that Ken has selected, it has Mustang blood in her. She's she's descended from a wild group of Mustangs that have been running around in, in Wyoming. And Ken says she's loco. She's wild. And you know, that's that's not going to be an easy horse to tame. Her father was a wild horse called Albino, named for his pure white coat. So, of course, I had to name my little pony Flicka. So, at the Goose Bar, all of the horses that have this strain of blood in them, they're very fast and very beautiful, but they're untamable. 
And after many years of trying to break just one of them, the father, Ken, has decided he's going to get rid of all of them. He's just not going to waste his time anymore. But Ken keeps begging for Flicka. He wants that one horse. And so Rob agrees reluctantly to let him have that horse. And he and a couple of ranch hands make two different attempts to capture her. The second time they try to capture Flicka, to try to tame her, she tries to jump a fence. She's trying to get over this impossibly high barbed wire fence and she injures herself. She scrapes her legs and her belly up and she's really injured. So Ken, the little boy, spends the summer nursing her. Now he named her Flicka, which is Swedish for little girl, and he spends all of his time tending to her needs and keeping her company. And Flicka starts to love and trust the little boy. But her wounds are festering and she's getting sicker and sicker. She starts to develop a dangerous blood infection and she grows so thin and weak that the father, Rob, decides he's going to have to shoot her to put her out of her misery. The night before she's going to be killed, however, Flicka wades into a really shallow little creek and falls down. She collapses. She's unable to rise. She doesn't have any strength. And Ken, he sneaks out of the house and he stays with her all night long, holding her head above the water because he doesn't want her to drown. When when his parents find him in the morning, he's very ill himself. He's developed a high fever which turns into pneumonia. And so they take him home and they tuck him in bed and he's he's getting sicker and sicker and he's spending all this time sad and afraid because he thinks that Flicka has died, that dad has put her out of his misery. For almost three weeks, little Ken is in bed, getting ill, not knowing that everything he did to save Flicka has helped and Flicka is actually improving and getting better. But he's got no interest in the world. He thinks his best friend is gone. Until he starts to improve finally and his dad takes him for a little drive around the ranch and in the distance he sees a stag protecting a doe on the farm and then Ken realizes that like the stag's responsibility is his doe, his is Flicka and Flicka is alive. And this was a great book. This was such a touching story. There was another story that I really loved when I was a little girl, and that was Misty of Chincoteague. This was another promise my mom made us, that she would take us to see the wild horses of Assateague Island. Now, Misty of Chincoteague is another children's novel, and this one was written by Marguerite Henry. By the way, I just want to point out that Marguerite Henry and Mary O'Hara, you know, they're pretty close in names. I just thought that was awfully cool. And these two books were about ponies that have wild ponies that have, you know, been tamed by people. So my horse, my horse that my mother bought me for that $60 from the rancher in Greensboro, remember she was going to have her own little foal. That foal already had a name and that was going to be Misty. So let me tell you a little bit about Misty of Chincoteague. This is a children's novel written, like I said, by Marguerite Henry and illustrated by Wesley Dennis. It was published in 1947 and it was set in the island town of Chincoteague, Virginia. And the story is about the Beebe family and their efforts to raise this little filly born to a wild horse. 
and it was a runner-up for the annual Newberry Award medal, and I, I always loved reading Newberry books. There was even a 1961 film called Misty that was based on the book. So Misty begins with an account of the wreck of a Spanish galleon on the shores of Assateague Island off the coast of Virginia, and this is in the 1500s. The ponies that are in the hold of the galleon swim to Assateague, and they become feral, and centuries pass. We're talking 400 years have passed before the B.B. family show up. The book is about two orphan children, Paul and Maureen B.B., who move in with their parents, grandparents, when their parents die. Paul and Maureen work to earn enough money to buy their own cheek-a-teak pony mare named Phantom, who's escaped from the Roundup men on Pony Pinning Day for the past two years. So, you know, this just, te- you know, piques their interest. This horse is so wild, untamable. Nobody can catch it. It just keeps escaping. But they just, that's the horse they want. They decided this is it. So they work very hard to save up their money. And when Phantom is finally captured because she is pregnant, she's slowed down by her new foal, Misty, um, they're ready. They got their money in their hand and they're going to buy Phantom and the foal. However, there was this man, mainland man, who steps in and buys the pair of ponies for his own son before the two children can pass her over their own money. And they're so distressed. But the way it works out is the mainlander, a person who does not live on the island, his son wins a pony in a raffle. So he doesn't need phantom and her foal. He gets his money back and he goes on his way and Paul and Maureen Beebe get to buy phantom. So they eventually are able to tame phantom and they're able to ride her and the next year Paul races her on the pony pinning day. Phantom wins but then the next day she becomes distressed when she sees the herd she once belonged to led by a stallion called Pipe Piper being released to swim back to Assateague. Well, the kids don't want Phantom to be that unhappy. They know she's a wild horse at heart and she needs to stay with the herd. So they let her go. They release her into the wild and she plunges into the ocean and she swims to the island of Assateague and she stays with her herd. But meanwhile, they've got the little baby. They have little Misty. So there was a lot of inspiration for this novel. It was inspired by a real-life Chincoteague pony by the same name. The real-life Misty was foaled in domesticity in 1946 on the Chincoteague at the Beebe Ranch, not in the wild. But in the book, she is sired by a chestnut pinto stallion named Pie Piper and a smoky black pinto dam called Phantom. Although these horses were domestic in real life, they also provided inspiration for the wild ponies in the novel. So whenever I come to Virginia and drive through these rolling green hills of the Shenandoah Valley, and I even see the Shenandoah River, and sometimes I pass by the Potomac River, I can't help but think about my own childhood and how much horses meant to me at the time. I have never, ever owned my own horse except for that wild little white pony that I only saw one time. Because the way this story ends is my mom was not able to buy a farm. I was not able to take my horse, Flicka, and my sister's foal, Misty, 
and live with it forever, happily ever after. No, I actually never got to see that horse again. But I knew that she was mine. And even though she lived with the farmer for the rest of her life, you know, maybe, maybe she was sold to another family and maybe she did get to go live with another little girl. I don't know. But in my mind, she always belonged to me and I've always had my own horse, my own friend, Flicka. So this is a short show. And I just wanted to share it with you. Like I said, I'm on the road here in Charlestown, and we're getting ready to wrap things up and head back to Virginia for brunch with my son and his sweetheart before we head home. But I'll tell you what, if you've ever been the kind of person that in your heart you secretly wanted a horse, just take a drive through Virginia on a spring morning, and you'll just feel all of those spirits rise back up. Thank you. Goodbye.